Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a wise man and a good teacher? Or is he your all-powerful Savior, Lord, and God? Let's open now to Mark chapter 8 and see what the Lord has for us. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. Today we're going to be talking about, we'll be discussing Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Um, it's just an extension from where we, we left off last time. Verses 27, and we'll finish the chapter at verse 38, 12 verses. We will go ahead and read it, and then we will uh, we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your mercy and your goodness on our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your love, your unconditional love that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for loving us, uh, even though we are a sinful people, Lord, an obstinate people that want our own way. Holy Spirit, we do ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the word of God. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that they are the living word of God. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands. Teach us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The first question we always want to ask ourselves is, why is this in the Bible? Why did our Heavenly Father choose to make this in the Scriptures? Now remember, the Scriptures 
are the word of God. The Bible is actually the very word of God. So when we read this and when we study it, we're not studying uh, the words of men or women who've written things. These are the very words of God. These words were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God on this author, Mark. Mark was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to take down these words. So when we read them, we ought not read them like we're just reading any, you know, anything else we read. We are reading the very words of God here, Esther. And Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us and to instruct us. So all of the Bible that was certainly written in the past, whether it's Old Testament or the New Testament, was not just written to tell us good stories or tell us what happened. It was written as an example to us, to give instruction to us. It was written to teach us. And so when we look into this now, we want to see what it has to teach us. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Jesus asked his disciples to inform him about who the crowds thought that he was. And apparently the, the crowds thought very highly of him. Not highly enough. It says some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, or one of the prophets. And so Jesus was very highly regarded. But it is so important for us to understand Jesus is not like any other biblical character. Jesus cannot be compared to John the Baptist. He can't be compared to Elijah or one of the great prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, uh, Daniel. All these incredible prophets were incredible men of God and there were incredible women of God, but none of these can compare to Jesus. To call Jesus one of the prophets uh, there's no words for how for how mistaken that really is. Jesus is all-powerful God, almighty God, the Son. God is represented in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have a triune God, and there are three distinct entities. They're all God, and they are all one. They're all omniscient. They're all omnipotent and they're all omnipresent. Omniscient means they all know everything. Jesus, right now, God the Son in heaven knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful, which means he can do anything, Matthew. And he's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at all times. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is everywhere at all times. Wherever you are, he is. Wherever anyone is, he is. And those are an interesting three words because omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent are three words that can only refer to God, the God of the Bible. And so Jesus says, you know, who do people say I am? And again, the crowds thought that he was, you know, a, a really amazing man of God. But again, it cannot be stressed enough. Who do you say Jesus is today, Abraham? I have a, uh, I have a really good friend 
named Abraham, who was, uh, who has just been suffering as a, uh, as a quadriplegic. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later when we talk about carrying our cross for Jesus and what the difficult things that Jesus has had you to carry. And, and, and he's had to carry more than anyone I know, you know, uh, a quadriplegic, um, I, I actually looked it up before I did the teaching, is, is someone that has paralysis in all four limbs. And yet, being around this guy and visiting him over the years, over the decades, uh, I, I cannot remember a time where he's complained. He's perpetually in a wheelchair. I never see him move. And, and yet... He'll continually talk about fun times that we've had in the past and what's going on. And he'll, he'll bring up the kind of jokes that we've said. And so, uh, I, I appreciate you, Abraham. And, uh, he always does ask for prayer. So if, uh, you know, uh, his name is Abraham. And, uh, if, uh, you know, whenever you're listening to this, if you'll stop for a second and lift up a prayer for the Lord to be with him and comfort him, uh, I would appreciate that. Um, but who do you say Jesus is, Abe? Because the only answer is Jesus is all-powerful God. That Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. So who do you say Jesus is? Most people say, I believe in Jesus. Intellectual assent or acknowledgement to the existence of Jesus is not the same as owning him as your Savior and your Lord. Have you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart? Have you prayed and said, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinful person. I confess that I cannot save myself. I need you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin. I place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone, Lord Jesus, to save me and to be my everlasting God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is your only hope and my only hope for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, who do you say Jesus is? You need to say that Jesus is my everything. Jesus is my all in all, my alpha and my omega, my beginning and my end, my first and my last. He's my savior, my master, my king, my God, my friend, my husband. Christians are called the bride of Christ. Who do you say Jesus is today? There's no more important question in your life. Now, he's not just a good guy. He's not like one of the prophets. He's not like John the Baptist or Elijah who were amazing men of God. He's infinitely past that. He's everything. So you want to ask yourself, who do I say that Jesus is? And as I've already spoken what the right answer is, your response to that needs to be, he is my only Lord and Savior and King and God. And I'm trusting in him alone to save me from my sin. And bring me to heaven when I die. Verse 29. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And that needs to be your answer today. That Christ means Messiah, 
Savior. That's who Jesus is. Again, Jesus is eternal. God the Son. God the Father did not make God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all eternal. They've always existed. They were never created. God the Son, Jesus, willingly became a human man, entered the world, lived a perfect life for you and me, for all humanity, then died a perfect death for you and me, and then was raised from the dead. That's what he is. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. He came because we're all sinful people. We've all done wrong things, said wrong things. We even think wrong things. All day long, we think thoughts that are sinful. We certainly say words that are sinful, Scott. That's why we need a Savior. Is because we are a sinful people. That's why we need Jesus. All the good we do, and we ought to, as we're going to get here in later verses, we ought to be living a, a sacrificial life for Jesus Christ. But none of that saves us. We're saved from our sin only by trusting in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, it's interesting. It's our job to tell everyone about him. But at this time, it says that the crowds were looking to make Jesus a king by force. You see, even the disciples, even Peter, as we're going to see a few verses from here, they still didn't understand that, that Jesus came and that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior had to suffer and die on the cross, as he's going to tell them in verse 31 and 32. He's going to explain that clearly. But they didn't like this. They didn't even understand the idea that Jesus had to suffer and be crucified to die for the sins of the world. Jesus came as a suffering servant, but they wanted a, a conquering king. And this idea, the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, uh, this is the book of Mark, it's in the New Testament, but the, the entire the entirety of the Old Testament prophesied that a, that a Savior would come, that a Messiah would come. It prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin and that, and that he would save the world from their sins when people put their trust and reliance and prayed to receive Jesus as their only Lord and Savior. Um, but that's not what they wanted. The people of Israel and the crowds, they, they wanted a, a very charismatic world leader that would that would make Israel the pride of the world again right so they again they wanted a a conquering king like king david who is the general of the lord's armies they they had no concept of a suffering savior of a savior that would give his life on behalf of you and on behalf of me and on behalf of all people so jesus warns them you know don't don't tell anyone because they didn't have the right heart about who Jesus was and about what he needed to do. Now, Jesus has come. He has given his life. And it's your job and my job to tell anyone who will listen about who Jesus is. Okay? Anyone who will listen, we need to talk about Jesus. Okay? Jesus, again, is the only solution to every aspect of our lives, beginning with the saving of our souls. 
and going on from there with us becoming his disciples. Um, and again, there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. Uh, a Christian is someone who's received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've asked Jesus to come into their heart and prayed for him to be the Lord of their life and to save them from their sin and to bring them to heaven when they die. That's a Christian. You've become a Christian. You believe in Jesus and you're trusting in him as your Savior. A disciple of Jesus is going to walk in and these qualities we're going to talk about in these later verses. So verse 31 and 32, and this will apply to what I had just talked about. Verse 31, it's speaking about Jesus. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus very clearly tells his disciples that he's going to have to suffer and die an excruciating death. He explains to them the purpose for which he came, but they don't like it. So much so that the Apostle Peter here, St. Peter, uh, takes Jesus aside. Verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know, sometimes when we don't understand things, we get, we get frustrated with God, right? You ever been frustrated with God when something didn't go your way or when uh, a difficulty came into your life? All of us can recognize that, right? And we have to trust that Jesus knows what's best. And I confess that I have in my frustration um, with the Lord done this very same thing. And for the same reasons Peter did. Look at verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's a serious verse. Because how often, Lord, I don't even know how often, it just is too much to say. How often I don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Look what Jesus says to Peter here. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And you can put your name in there. Because when we, this is what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. How often we have in mind the things of the world, the people of the world, the pleasures of the world, the relationships of the world. How often is that our focus, May? How often is that my focus? Esther, how often is that your focus? And when it is, Jesus is rebuking us the same way. When we do not have in mind the things of God, when we do not have in mind the word of God, when we do not have in mind the son of God, when we do not have in mind the scriptures, we're thinking not like Jesus, but like the devil. And, and I mean, you know, my daughter Kristen is, is, has, has spoken about how just firm that Jesus is in his language. 
He, he doesn't mince words here. Peter does not want Jesus to have to go through this crucifixion. Peter has this idea that Jesus is, you know, that this is not necessary. And, you know, he loves Jesus and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want him to have to go through this. And none of us would. But we have to submit to the will of what Jesus says is best. When Jesus tells Peter and the disciples that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, must be killed and raised on the third day. That's the word of God. So Jesus speaking to Peter spoke the word of God there. Now it's in our Bible, but when he spoke it to Peter, it was just as much the word of God. And, and, and Peter takes the word of God and rebukes Jesus for speaking the word of God. Imagine that. God speaks to you and me, and we don't like it. And so we begin to rebuke God because we don't like what he told us. Um, I don't like what it says in the Bible, so I'm just going to believe what I want to believe. The Bible is the word of God. When Jesus speaks, it's the word of God. We don't just get to decide that we don't like certain aspects of the word of God, Keith. It's our job to take the word of God, to believe the word of God, to receive the word of God, and then to live out the word of God. But Peter here rebukes Jesus, rebukes God when he speaks. And the irony is that I, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, in my foolishness that I have, uh, that I have done similar things, may, um, how often, you know, we don't, we don't like certain scriptures maybe, right? As a matter of fact, this very teaching, I was, uh, I was doing my preparation and, uh, you know, I was talking to, uh, an elder at kingdom discipleship is, uh, his name is Tom, a little older than me. And we were going through this teaching and I was just, I was, I was teaching it to him and we were going back and forth. He was giving some of his insights and, and he just made a comment and he said, you know, man, John, you know, you just, we just got away in this ministry of picking teachings, meaning why are all these teachings so hard? I didn't write the book. We don't, we don't get to, to pick and choose. You know, this is what we discussed in Bible study yesterday morning. Um, this was just an extension of the last one. And so this wasn't picked because it was easier because it was hard. It, it was picked because it's there. It's in the scriptures, but, but it is a hard teaching. You know, there's so many aspects of it that I, that I need to do better. And one of them is that we need to accept the word of God for what it says. The basic premise of the Bible is that humanity is sinful and that we need Jesus Christ as our Savior, and there's no other way, okay? It's only in receiving Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul and trusting him only as your Savior that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can come in relationship with God as your Father, and that you can ultimately go to heaven. Nowhere else. And Jesus said it himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Those are his words. So, yes, only in Christ, no other religion in the world can be saved from your sin. Only in Jesus Christ can you be saved from your sin. So, wherever you are today, whatever religion you're calling yourself today, doesn't matter what it is. If it's a Buddhist, if it's a Muslim, if it's a Hindu, if it's Confucianism, if it's some New Age thing, none of that matters. Just put all of that aside and what you need is Jesus. And he's going to make this clear here in the, in the coming verses. And they're his words. The point I'm making here is it's our job to make our lives, Melanie, fit the Bible. We don't just make the Bible fit our lives. We don't just get to, to, to believe whatever we want to believe, do whatever we want to do, and then just somehow try to say that's what it says in the Bible. No, 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 no. You don't make the Bible fit your life. Our job, our life's goal is to make our lives fit the Bible. Does that make sense? He spoke plainly about this. The word of God is plain. It really isn't confusing. If we want to understand it, we will understand it. But it has to start with Jesus. Everything begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus. And from there, we just, that's why we do these podcasts. That's why, uh, you know, the different people that are involved in kingdom discipleship do what they do. Is because we want to make the word of God plain. And then we want to live it out in our own lives. Father, I ask you to forgive us where we have lived our lives so consistently, not having in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me where this has been my lifestyle. Father, I do want to have in mind the things of God more and more and more and more and the things of the world less and less and less and less. And now it's going to get into some, some serious verses here. Of course, they've all been serious. Verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So now he wants to make this clear to everybody. Crowd could have been 3,000, 5,000 people, right? Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus wants to make this clear to all of us today. Now, remember, you're saved by what Jesus has done alone. Saved meaning you're forgiven of your sin by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, if you truly want to know the meaning of the Christian life, it's going to take walking out verse 34 more and more and more and more. And this is not an easy verse. Look at this verse, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does this mean, Scott, to deny himself? Doesn't mean, Scott, that, you know, you, uh, 
you just have Lent once a year and give up ice cream. Okay? That's not what, what uh, self-denial is not denying yourself. To deny yourself is to deny your inclinations and desire for your whole life and surrender it to Jesus. That's what it means to deny yourself. As disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are going to be disciples, if we're going to go from being a Christian or a believer in Jesus to a true disciple of Jesus, that's in meaningful relationship with Jesus, walking with Jesus, bearing fruit for Jesus, we're going to have to deny ourselves. So what, what it means to deny yourself is whatever your idea for your life is, whatever your thoughts about your life is, what, what all your, whatever you think is important in your life, you completely turn away from that and give your life over completely, surrender it to Jesus Christ and his desires for your life. Now, it is a denial, but the sacrifice is, is immensely worth it. But it is a sacrifice. It's a serious sacrifice. In my study, I was reading, I was reading one commentator, and uh, he made the point that when the devil, when Satan is wanting you to follow him, when Satan is wanting you to live your life according to his ways, he never tells you the hard parts. When we're going to be living in sin, we never think about the consequences of it, right? The enemy or Satan only tells us the grandiose parts, but he doesn't tell us the downside of anything, which is overwhelming. Jesus, amazingly, doesn't hide from us what the harder parts of the Christian life is. He doesn't only tell us the, the grandiose and amazing things. Yes, uh, you'll be saved by Jesus and what he's done at the cross, but living for Christ is going to come with some difficulties. And it could come with a lot of difficulties. It can come with us ultimately having to give our lives in one way or another. Millions of Christians have been martyred, right? And sometimes Jesus just allows difficulties and sufferings in our life. And, and those sufferings may come whether you're just a believer in Christ or whether you're a disciple in Christ. But know this, if you're going to be a disciple in Christ, a disciple for Christ, that you're going to have to deny yourself and just your inclinations, your beliefs, your desires, and you're going to have to surrender yourself to the will of Jesus Christ and become his slave and his servant. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And look at this second one and take up his cross. Man, what is your cross? What was the cross of Christ? Jesus had to carry his own cross. Jesus was crucified at the cross. The cross of Christ was a horrifically painful deal. And each of us have different crosses to bear. What is the cross that you have to bear? I will say this. I, I spoke to you at the beginning about a very good friend of mine, Abraham. And... Uh, you know, Timmy, his, uh, his cross is harder than anyone else I know. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been. I don't know if it's been 20 years, 25 years. I remember he told me, he said, you know, John, it was, it was, it was so hard when I lost, when I lost the use of both of my legs. But then, 
it was it was nothing compared to what it was like when I lost the use of both my hands. What is that like to be a quadriplegic? That's quite a cross to bear. And as I said, and I could be mistaken, but I don't ever remember him complaining. And that's odd, Abe, because all I hear is people complaining. I listen to complaining all day long, least not of which my own. And Timmy, we don't, we don't, we're not quadriplegics. You know, what, what have we ever dealt with compared to someone that's been in that situation? We haven't even had a difficulty next to someone who suffered like that. And we all know different people who have been given tremendous crosses, but the vast majority of us have never been given these, uh, I don't know, what would it be like to live 20, 25 years in a wheelchair and you can't move your legs or your arms? Anyway, let's let's be in prayer for the people, you know, that are uh, that really have been given tremendous crosses. But but Jesus said you got to carry that cross, Abe, and you have. You got to take up that cross, and you got to follow Jesus. So start talking more about Jesus, Abraham. Okay, when someone comes to see you. I know the words are hard to get out because this he has, I believe he told me he has chronic multiple sclerosis. But from now on, all I, when, I, when I see you, as the Lord permits with all the COVID and everything, all I want to hear is Jesus, Jesus. Just don't say anything to anyone else. Somebody comes into the room and holds up the drink to your mouth. Just all you say is Jesus. They say, excuse me, say Jesus. Your sister comes, say Jesus. That's, that's all that's worth saying. How you feeling today? I need more Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. You got you to carry what the Lord has called you to carry. You have to deny that which, that which you want, your beliefs, your views, where you want to live, sweetheart, right? We have to deny that. We have to take up our cross, whatever burdens the Lord has given us to carry. And then with those two things in mind, just follow Jesus. Think about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is all that matters. Look at verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now this is twofold. First, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today again, if you're trying to save your own life, there's nothing you can do to save your own life. If you try to save your own life, if you try to think you can do anything to get yourself to heaven, you will lose it. You desperately need a savior and there's nothing you can do about it. You need to run to Jesus Christ. You need to lose your life and completely give your life and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross. But also, I believe what he's talking about here, for whoever wants to save his life, if we want to preserve and save our life for ourselves, Matthew, and use our life the way we want to use it, Johnny, um, if Jason, we just want to, you know, to, to hold on to our life, Lisa, right? Um, to do what we want and go where we want. Then, uh, you know what? You'll never really know the meaning of life. Jesus in John 10, verse 10 says, I've said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
you really want to know the meaning of life and what true life is in relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to give your life to him and let go of what you, you believe your life is about and your desires for your own life. When you want to hold on to your own life, you're going to, you, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. You want your life to be about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I said, Abe, just keep saying Jesus. Because that's all that matters. If you'll lose your life for Jesus, whatever you want your life to be, if you'll make it about Jesus, you know what? Your life will begin to have true and powerful meaning like never before. And, and I'll tell you, Lisa, those who are in the, uh, the biggest difficulties, those who have the hardest suffering can often make the biggest difference for Jesus. Verse 36, what good is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Kind of a heavy verse, right? You could just pursue your entire life. If it's about pursuing the things of the world, nice homes, nice cars, uh, important jobs. If that's all you think about, it's, it's to the tremendous detriment of your soul. And you'll forfeit your soul to hell if you don't know Jesus Christ. If you don't truly give your life to Jesus and ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior, truly trusting in him alone, only in Christ. Look what Jesus said. You know, it's only in, 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 in really walking with him is there any meaning in life at all. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So we really want to get to a place. Father, I ask you to help us to truly lay down our, our worldly, just such our worldly desires, Lord. We have become a church that's just so, so wrapped up in the things of the world. Father, I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive me, Father. Um, and I ask you to help us, Lord, to, to really begin to live our lives, laying down our lives for you, Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy on our lives. Verse 37, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, nothing is worth it. Nothing we do that's contrary to the word of God and the son of God is worth it. What can a man give? What can, what can a man or woman give in exchange for your soul? Is anything worth it? Is, are any of these temporary pleasures worth it? No, they're not. There's nothing you can give in exchange for your soul. Your soul, your eternal destiny, and even the, the quality of your soul and experiencing life in Christ here, there's nothing that's worth that. So you want your soul to be really given to Jesus Christ, your thoughts to be given to Jesus, your life to be given to Jesus. And the good news is, if you're listening to this, we can repent today. And we can say, Lord Jesus, you know, we, we certainly need to do a better job. And Jesus, I ask you to help us to live our lives knowing that we can't give anything in exchange for our soul, nor would we. There's nothing more important than your eternal soul in this life and the next. In verse 38, we'll end here. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, this is Jesus speaking. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We have to be willing to talk about Jesus. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, we cannot be ashamed of the Son of God and the Word of God. We have to be willing to talk about Jesus. We have to be willing to stand on the Word of God. Even when we may be ridiculed for it, it takes courage to do it. We know people don't want to hear it. Maybe we come off as just kind of, oh, these just kind of religious zealots or something. It's not religion. It's relationship. It's true and genuine and meaningful relationship, Ed. That's the meaning of life, man. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The good news, as I said earlier, as I said a few minutes ago, is that if we had been reticent to bring up Jesus or talk about Jesus or own Jesus, we can repent and we need to. You need to go to him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, I am sorry that I've that I that I've been reticent to talk about you and your words and, and the Bible. Um, Lord, I ask you to help me to be more bold in, uh, in owning you as my Savior and you as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. But that's what you said. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, it says that, that the Son of Man, Jesus, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. So let's, let's be more about just, uh, just giving our lives over to Jesus. He gave his life for you and me. He was a perfect, he came from heaven and willingly became a human man and lived a perfect life for us and died a horrific death for us. And he's alive and risen. So let you and I begin to live for him today more and more and to own him today and be willing to speak about him today more and more and more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for, for this teaching in, in Mark. Father, we do ask you to help us to, to, to be more bold in speaking about Jesus, Lord, and uh, in, in, in the word of God. Father, we ask you to help us one and all today to, to truly begin to deny ourselves and our desires and our wants and to surrender our lives to you, to our Lord Jesus, as his servants and slaves. Lord, I ask you to help us to take up our cross. Father, I know that you've given very difficult crosses to different people. I just I ask you to comfort them. I ask you to be with my brother Abe. I just pray your, your mercy and comfort on him and, and my sister Lisa and, and, and all those who have been uh, just really struggling with, with, uh, with, with abnormal difficulties, with just, with just very difficult crosses with regard to whether it be health or, or, or finances or relationships, Lord, I just ask you to have mercy on them in the name of Jesus. And Father, and, and as we do this, I ask you to help us to follow you, Jesus. Help us to be men and women who are true disciples of Jesus Christ, that our, our lives are marked more and more by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you. Father, help my wife and I to do this more and more. Forgive us as we have fallen short. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.